Welcome to our podcast, Sports Movie Buddies, and thank you ever so much for devouring the 95th episode in this talkie venture we call Scoring at the Movies. We do a back and forth about films with athletic type stuff in them, and we always do a whole bunch of spoiling. I'm the graceful peacock who's going to the World Winter Sport Games 20. Don't call them the Olympics. I thought this was the Olympics. I haven't seen the movie in a while. I forgot. Ryan Ellis. Not Olympics. And here's my skating partner, the ice-devouring sex tornado. Not Olympics. Chris Michael Michaels, better known as Christy Gregorio. Thanks, Ryan. You know, that was my name throughout high school. Sex tornado. And it's nostalgic for me to hear it again. Were you ice-devouring also? Sadly, no. Just the sex tornado piece. And I would have been here sooner today to record this. Just like a little peek behind the production curtain for people. It took me a while to get here because I decided to walk over. But in retrospect, the choice to wear ice skates to walk over here in took a lot longer than I would have thought. Coming up those front steps, not easy. So a <laughs> little bit of a hiccup there, but uh, I assume I'll be better going home. You've now wrecked my steps too. So this is the last time you're invited over here. <laughs> How dare you? That was a funny part of the movie. Before we get into that part, or any of the parts of the movie now, you better open that beer. Let's not linger here. Let's not. What are you drinking over there? Funnily enough, for a movie as obsessed with manhood, this is my typical type of beer. Passion fruit, or pomegranate grapefruit sour beer. Sorry. (laughs) So, you know. If it was passion fruit, I'd be worried about you. But pomegranate, no problems at all. That is a man's fruit. Very little gay panic around here, unlike the movie itself. And I, of course, as usual, have... Diet Pepsi with some CC in it. I forgot what it was called for a minute there. I was thinking about drinking Crown Royal. That's why I hesitated, actually. Okay, we will talk about the sequence at the end. The easily funniest part of this movie is the last 30 minutes, I thought. But let me set it up. Patanazzo a la Gloria, as it was what? known in Spain. Patanazzo a la Gloria. How long have you Gloria? been practicing that? A little bit. Uh, that, that that I'm, I'm very impressed. It was released by Paramount and DreamWorks going on 15 years ago on March 30th. 2007. It wasn't a monster hit, but it was number one at the box office for a couple of weeks that spring. Then was number two in its third week. This is not really thought of as Will Ferrell's biggest, well, it's not his biggest of all of his hit comedies, especially the ones about sports. And I thought this one came after the one I prefer, Semi-Pro. We did Semi-Pro years ago. We did Talladega Nights many years ago. That was one of our first maybe 10 or 15 episodes. This is right between them, right? But this is between them, exactly. That was 2006, Talladega Nights, 2007 for this, Blaze of Glory. And Semi Pro was 2008. He also did, oh, the first one actually was Kicking and Screaming. That was 2005. The one about soccer with Robert Duvall, which was a bomb. Critics didn't like it. Critics did like this one. They liked Talladega Nights, but they hated, and I forgot. Wait, Semi Pro. Critics liked this This gets this a one? fresh tomato. Huh. 70% of critics on the Rotten Tomato site. 6.3 to 10. I'm surprised. Yeah. There were 188 reviews, and the average was 6.3, so that's not bad at all. 68% of audiences, still pretty good. And it was 25th at the box office in 2007. The game plan. The Rock movie that I think is on Disney+, Plus. I know I saw that recently, was 32nd, and Balls of Fury, which has Dan Soder, is that his name? Don't like him, so we probably will never do that one. It's a terrible movie. I saw that in the theaters also. Oh, really? That was 82nd. 
I saw this in the theater. Saw Talladega Nights. So did I, yeah. Talladega Nights was in the theater. Semi-Pro in the theater. Probably kicking and screaming. That's his big four. I'd forgotten they were one after another in those four years. Big sport four, at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's also done that thing on TV where he played baseball with every single baseball team. I finally watched that about was a year or two ago. fun. Mm. There wasn't a lot to it. If it had been a movie, it probably wouldn't have been successful at no. the box office or no. with the critics. But I just said this was... I saw this... I don't know, maybe a year or so ago when I wasn't paying much attention to it at all. So I might as well have not seen it. But I remember thinking, this isn't as funny as the one that I know was not as popular with other people, semi-pro. I did laugh in the last 30 minutes, like I said a few minutes ago. But otherwise, I just thought this was Will Ferrell being desperate. He seems mm-hmm. a lot like, Bev and I talked about this on Scrooge, that we covered late last year for the other podcast, trying so hard to yeah. the funnier guys ever. And when they are being this obviously desperate, it isn't so funny. But what do you think? You kind of nailed my impressions as well. When this came out, I was 26, and I was pretty much the target audience for Will Ferrell yes, were. comedy movies. Maybe even a little older, actually, than the target audience. Maybe a little older, but you know, mid, but close enough. early to mid-20s, much like you did in that era. I, I saw like every movie that hit the theaters, pretty much. And so we're talking about a run of movies for Will Ferrell, particularly that's old school. You already mentioned Talladega Nights. Before that, Anchorman. right. Uh, no, it and, was after old school, but same basic time frame. No, but before Talladega Nights. Before the sports movies. Before the sports Stranger movies. Stranger Than Fiction. Stranger Than Fiction, Elf. I was a massive Will Ferrell fan, and when I went into this, I wanted to see, okay, well, this is the guy that did Ricky Bobby, that did Ron Burgundy, that did Frank the Tank. What is he going to do for us now? And I came away thinking, he had funny moments, but I think you described it perfectly. It came across that he was trying so hard to be funny, and... I think his best performances are when it might not seem natural. It'll always be absurd, so it's not exactly natural, at least not in this type of movie. A lot more natural in something like Elf, a lot more natural as, I forget the name of his character in Stranger Than Fiction now. Harold Crick. Yeah, I was thinking Walter Mitty. I'm like, no, that's, uh, that's Ben Stiller. What am I <laughs> right. talking about? Who produced this movie? Who did produce this movie. Apparently, he was offered one of the two lead roles. And he would have been funny. If... It was him and Will Ferrell. I think it probably would have been a better movie. Because you're maybe going to say what I'm going to say right now, which is I am not a John Heater fan. Yeah, I'm not either. And he had a few cute moments. I guess I should wrap up that previous thought. I went in hoping for a lot and was mostly disappointed. And I remember coming away thinking, I don't ever have to see that again. And frankly, I hadn't seen it since its release until this viewing. I enjoyed it more than I expected to based on that initial impression, maybe because I just expected less from Will Ferrell at this point than maybe I did during that stretch. Okay. That said, I agree with you. I just think John Heater is not that funny. I did laugh, I think, more than I expected to and probably more than you did, at least in that early stage of the movie. But generally, I agree with you. I feel like this is maybe the weakest of the sports outings by Will Ferrell. I'm not a huge semi-pro fan. We talked about that when we did semi-pro. I think you liked that movie more than I do. I did, yeah. But I still think it's better than this. And, of course, Talladega Nights demolishes both of those movies in yeah. my eyes. There's a lot of very good actors in this and movie. small roles, generally, but yes. And people that have been in mediocre things before, but still people that I tend to enjoy nonetheless. Amy Poehler, mm-hmm. of course. Love Will, Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler's fantastic. Will Arnett, I enjoy regardless of how good or bad the project might be. I usually find him very good. William Fickner, I typically love him, and there just wasn't enough of him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Coach, what's his name? Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson. Coach on TV. Yes. And his only credit in this movie, although Romany Malco does call him Robert or something like that at one point, but otherwise, in the billing, and the only other thing he's ever called is Coach. Exactly. And his most famous role is Coach. Craig T. Nelson. He's awesome, too. And frankly, he was pretty good in this. He wasn't given a ton to do, but he was pretty good. 
that's not even talking about Will Ferrell. And a lot of it just really didn't pan out. And I think because they made some really questionable choices when it came to like emphasis of humor, one of them being the brother-sister relationship stuff, yep. because it came across as weird and creepy, not terribly funny. Either don't do it, or just do it and do it hard. Just go all the way with it. Make it super absurd, right? I'm thinking about the Marilyn Monroe JFK skating piece. In the finals, yeah. That's where we get to see them playing out this weird fantasy of theirs. Give us the absurd version of that. Have them just making out on camera or something during the skating routine and then have the announcers be like, oh, I find this very objectionable or something. But we don't really get any of that. All we get is double entendres and hints at it. And then at the end, yeah, they get the kiss, but then it's broken up. There was no real funny payoff to that whole thing that just made you feel very uncomfortable for most of the movie. They slap each other first, yeah. once each, and then they kiss. Now, do you think the movie's implying that they were making out, well, more than making out, maybe behind the scenes? Absolutely. I think the movie is trying to imply that. That that's not the first time they've ever kissed. Exactly. Okay. To me, when this movie is at its funniest, it's when it's at its most absurd. The skating and running through buildings, running yeah. outside. Or him using his jock strap to zip line down <laughs> yes, the ice. Exactly. Pretty funny. It's pretty stupid. Or, you know, one of the things that made me laugh the most because it's just so dumb and it's so totally just a Will Ferrell improv piece or his input into the script was the comb. Yes. When he pulls it out of the case and he's talking about aerodynamic, low drag, low torque. And John Heater's response is, how low torque? To imply that you can never have no torque in a hairbrush. There's always going to be some torque, but they haven't quite figured that one out, but it's low torque. You wouldn't believe how low. All of that stupid, absurd humor I really enjoyed. And I just wish they went further with it, whether it was the brother-sister relationship, whether it was the William Fickner stuff. I wish they had not just ditched the character 10 minutes into the movie. We never see him again. Have him reappear as like a nemesis later on or something. The movie is only an hour and a half long. The credits roll, well, now we're 33, but the credits roll around the 125 mark briefly. They go to a scene with the guy I like the least maybe in comedy history. Another part of the problem with this movie. Nick Swardson has never made me laugh. He's really objectionable. I don't like him in anything. He's a Sandler friend and maybe a Farrell friend, too, to be in these movies. And in this movie at the very end, I don't know if you saw the outtake at the very end. I didn't. Not an outtake, actually, because it's not him breaking on camera or anything like that. He's play acting with his dolls. Now he's in love with both guys. But that doesn't help either, that I just loathe that guy. Be like, what's I forget his name, the guy in Balls of Fury. Dan something. Dan Fogler, that's his name. When I see that guy, right away, my back is up because I don't like him, don't think he's funny. Although Fogler wasn't that bad on The Walking Dead for a little while there in a serious role. But that doesn't help either, that I'm not a Heater fan, not a Swartzen fan. And Swartzen's probably in the movie, I don't know, maybe the third most or fifth most anyway behind... Polar and Arnett, who were married at this point, by the way. Oh, were they really? I think they had kids. They were married for quite a while. They're not anymore. But they do what the guys should have done. So that's my nutshell for this movie, meaning Chaz Michael Michaels and Jimmy McElroy. Kiss, 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 kiss. The real love story in this movie is not Jimmy and Katie. It's Jimmy and Chaz. That's another example of where I wish this movie had decided to go super absurd with it somehow. Maybe they get carried away during a routine and kiss each other or something, or the sex addict stuff, speaking of Katie and Will Ferrell's character, have the sex addict element of Chaz Michael Michaels be more of a wild card in the plot somehow. Because really all we see is him at that one meeting, but then it doesn't really amount to anything because he has that one moment with Katie and then it's over and then that's pretty much the end Except of it. it is the excuse for why they go as far as they do, which is like a second basis he points out in his yeah. confession later on. Because he's saying, this is my friend, I can't do this. And he probably wouldn't have if he wasn't a sex addict. It's a redemptive part of the personality. 
And I say this knowing that sex addiction and what I don't think people refer to anymore as nymphomania. I think that's a derogatory term. For, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I think so. That is a legitimately debilitating and very sad thing to occur because it can ruin your life. The character in Shame. Did you ever see that movie or hear that movie? I heard of it, but I'd never seen it. Fast Bender plays him. Yes. Yeah. He will fuck anything that moves. Yeah. And I say that just to acknowledge it. That's not me saying you can't play it for humor, too, because, I mean, you can satirize anything. I don't think we should be precious necessarily about many things. I've said that. You, I think you can make anything funny. I'm stealing from Chris Rock. An old man falling down the flight of stairs is funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's something like that he said in one of those comedy specials long ago. The point is, anything can be funny, even something objectionable. I'm not saying this through 2022 eyes of, well, there shouldn't have this gay panic in this movie. I never really loved this movie to begin with, and I think it's because, maybe playing off what you just said a minute ago, it feels like, I said this in a recent podcast with Bev, the ingredients are on the counter, everything's been cut up, the water's boiling, but it isn't coming together as a soup. I don't think it's impossible to have those elements of this movie be in the movie and be funny. And I say that about the Will Arnett, Amy Poehler's character's weird relationship. I say that about the sex addiction thing. I just think in every instance, either leave it out or you take it much further than this movie. And they rushed it too. Like I said, the movie's really short. It runs the credits before an hour and a half. They skip to the final so fast. We don't really see them skate. And I think I know why, but we don't really see either of the two big teams, Poehler and Arnett, Farrell and Heater really skate. When they get to Montreal for the winter sport games, it goes right to the finals. And it feels like other scenes were cut out or they rushed the whole movie. And I'm glad it was over because I wasn't really enjoying myself that much. Although, again, at the end, I was more so. But yeah, you could have had more Fickner in there and adopting. I love Will. (laughs) And you could have had more of the other stuff you just talked about. Yeah. I was curious about elements of the production choices in this movie. So I did a little bit of digging. And it certainly sounds like this is a movie that wasn't in any sort of production trouble, but was certainly bound by certain limitations because one of the things I did read was that what they wanted originally to do for the climax of the movie at the end was not what we got but rather to have Heater and Farrell kidnapped by like an assassin and taken to like the top of a mountain and kept in a cabin and then they would escape but then they'd be chased and the concept was in order to get back to their skating event, they were going to have to sort of escape this assassin. In the midst of that escape, they would go through a bunch of winter Olympic sports. They'd ski down a mountain and maybe they'd get... Don't say Olympics. Not Olympics in the movie, but Olympic sports. I thought it was Olympics before I started watching it. But, you know, they get in a bobsled and then maybe they have to cross-country ski. That would be fun. That's way too expensive. We can't do that. So the, the, the scope got cut down. I think you're right. I think probably there was a lot of production constraint placed on this that maybe forced a narrowing of the scope. And well, you got to pay Farrell. He would have been pricey at this yeah. point. The other people, probably not so much. Polar and Arnett in 2007, I don't know, maybe. She was doing SNL at this point. This is before Parks and Rec. Oh, okay. She's yeah. great in Inside Out, and it's only a voiceover role anyway, but I would think that something like that, doing a Pixar voice, one of the best Pixar voices that anyone's ever had. She was awesome in that movie. Probably can charge a lot more for a, I guess, third or fourth build part like she has in this than she could in 2007. But you're paying for fairly, you're also paying for visual effects. And I said to Mindigo, we skip to the finals. We rarely see Polar and Arnett on skates. They seem yeah. like they can just basically skate. I can't really. I think you said you can't either. So they're better than me, granted. But they're also, in a movie about this, they really should be able to do it basically well. Farrell and Heater are in the movie far more often actually skating, or it looks like they're skating. Yeah. But I'm thinking there's an awful lot of wires that were cut out, especially some of the silly stuff, of course, granted. But even just basic skating or some of the moves that you'd have to be quite a good skater to pull off. Certainly stunt doubles are involved too, but maybe the movie had to charge an awful lot for visual effects, post-production stuff. They definitely did. To make those guys as good as they even were. I know Will Ferrell has said that he took a lot of skating instruction going into this movie because he couldn't skate just so that he would look natural getting on and off the ice. I think he does. 
I think so too. The first time we see Chaz Michael Michaels skating prior to Heater and Farrell splitting the gold medal at the non-Olympics, that was visual effects all the way. And not removing wires, but putting Will Farrell's face onto a body double. Yeah. Because you can see the face not quite matching up during spins and stuff. You can The Sao Cow. The Sao Cow, yeah. But largely, I thought they did fine. Like you said, we don't get a ton of people on the ice aside from Farrell and Heater. But I don't know how much more ice skating I would have necessarily wanted to no, see out of a more. comedy. Too. No, we don't need more. It's true. But I just noticed that they're covering up for the fact that the other two stars in the movie probably could barely get by. Oh, absolutely. Polar and Arnett. They also probably didn't commit to it as much as the two stars would have had to. Months of training. They trained with Michelle Kwan's coach, incidentally. Did they? And John Heater broke an ankle during that. And, of course, that's a plot point at the end with Farrell breaking his ankle. So that's why they have to change in the Iron Lotus order. So Farrell's <laughs> got to be the woman character. The sequence when you see what happened in North Korea and the head gets chopped right off. I forgot how gruesome that was. That was pretty funny, but yes, that is gruesome, definitely. I swore it was actually an R-rated in this episode, but maybe the movie should have been R-rated. I don't think it was. Shocked how bloody and gruesome it was. I did kind of giggle a little bit when Craig T. Nelson was describing going to North Korea to get this forbidden ice skating move performed. But it's so obvious on the monitor in the movie that this is a dummy on the ice. Like, if you look at the head, it's not even a mannequin head. It's like a carved wooden head. Did they intentionally make it look very fake to try to dodge an R rating? Because then it's not ever construed as a body on the ice? I have an answer. One of the movies you may have mentioned in your run of Will Ferrell movies you thought were funny. I did, too. Anchorman. That's one of the more over-the-top characters that still feels sort of real. He actually did such a great job as Ron Burgundy. Did a sequel. And the Rotten Tomatoes numbers on that weren't that bad. I didn't like the sequel very much. I didn't like it either, to be honest with you. But anyway, there's that scene in that movie where Jack Black, before he was... Well, I guess he was going to be well-known. But anyway, he throws a dog. I think it's Will Ferrell's dog. Yep. over a bridge but he's so clearly has yeah. a toy dog there's not even a moment <laughs> where he's like, holding a fake do- or like real dog and then throws it he's carrying a fake dog and throws a fake dog and That's I think right. probably because if he does have a real dog and then cut to a fake one it would still upset people enough yes. that you'd worry about the rating and you'd also worry about people being turned off and that's probably the same thing with this also, for the sake of humor, you can get away with more in a silly comedy. Exactly. I think you're absolutely right there. Except that he doesn't throw the dog, doesn't he? Draw, kicks kick it. the yeah, dog right. off the bridge. Right. That's a good comparison. I think you're right. And I think the same thing holds true here. Craig T. Nelson, as we're talking about this and I'm thinking about it, he is connected to more of the giggles I had in the first hour of this movie than maybe anybody else. After being fired. By Jimmy's dad, Darren McElroy. Yes, yeah. yes by uh, Fickner. Bill Fickner. And years later, he's watching television and he's watching the fight mm-hmm. between... Sees potential. He sees potential. That legitimately made me laugh. Farrell picks up Heater <laughs> in like a perfect pose and then Heater throws Farrell and he flies through the air again in a perfect pose. That is really stupid, but it was legitimately funny to me. And there's moments like that scattered throughout his performance. And I don't know what it is. Maybe he's just a good comic actor, but that just he is. made me laugh. He's pretty funny on Coach. It's a legendary show, really. Yeah. They're practicing the Iron Lotus move, and Will Ferrell's cut the heads off of, like, 30 dummies. And I almost got it. I almost got it. And Heater's just sweating bullets. He yeah. turns to the coach, and coach just gives him, like, a thumbs up <laughs> as he's sharpening a skate blade. Badly, by the way. He's doing the sharpening yep. wrong. But right. it was funny. It was a good moment. Did you know? Well, I read this online, so maybe it isn't true. But supposedly, I think the writers were going for this, at least. Craig T. Nelson and Romani e. Malco, because Malco's the dance instructor, were supposed to be involved romantically. Oh, really? And it's extremely subtle in the movie. I knew that was supposed to be a theme, so I looked for it. And there's one moment where they seem like they maybe could have been or were at that moment, maybe later that night, going to bed together. But that's oh. another, not gay panic, actually. You know what? This movie made 2022. I bet you have Farrell and Heater end up being together. They would probably be willing to do that. I bet Farrell especially would be willing to do that. 
because you probably wouldn't get to make a gay panic movie unless you actually paid it off. And I bet you for sure that Craig T. Nelson and Malco would have been together the whole time. It would have been fairly oh, clear they 100%, were involved. 100%, yeah. Rather than very subtle. I mentioned the writers. Jeff and Craig Cox, John Altshuler, and Dave Krinsky. But you don't know any of those names, do you? They didn't really keep writing movies. And the directors, too, their debut, Josh Gordon and Will Speck, have not made very many movies. One of them is Office Christmas Party, which has a great cast. But I wasn't that funny? did not like that. I don't think these guys are all that great when it comes to any of them. The writers, the directors. The biggest name of all of them, Busy Phillips, has a story credit. Because apparently it was her idea, she said. Really? But it's the only time she ever had a writing credit in a movie was this one time. I always thought it was those brothers' idea. and apparently She says it was hers. Maybe she's wrong, but that's what she claims. Or maybe it was like a combination of things. That happens. People have one idea, somebody else has another, and it just comes together as, as like one. a guy's idea. It's such a bro-y kind of film. And these so guys bro-y. that are fighting the urge to work together when they don't want to because they hate each other before they're ever brought together. Forgetting the thing I'm joking about, the kiss, kiss, kiss. If you don't want to believe that's any kind of element of this film, then it still seems like a guy's made movie. And of course, most of the people involved were. I don't know if Phillips was in any way involved when they actually started making it. But for it to be her idea. You're absolutely right. There's so many elements of it that are super broy, But at the same time, it's a movie that is making fun of, of figure skating. Oh, true. Also true. Making fun of bros, too. Absolutely. But it's making fun of figure skaters and figure skating. But it's not doing it in an intentionally mean way. The easiest pickings for that would be to have one character make fun of another character's costume in a mean way. But that never happens. You just see them be jealous of each other's super flamboyant costumes. And even in that chase scene at the end between Will Arnett and Will Ferrell, when they're both on the escalator at the end and Will Ferrell turns around to Arnett mm-hmm. and says, So, who are you? Are you Rod Surly? <laughs> Which yeah. I thought was awesome. That was a great line. Uh-huh. They go, no, I'm JFK. It'll all make sense. And even then, Will Ferrell's like, It'll be great. It'll be great, right? right? He's so supportive. He's so supportive, (laughs) even in that moment. They never go out of their way to be mean to the sport. True. And there's people that are famously involved in the sport. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Michelle Kwan worked on the production, at least. Her coach, but yeah. But she was still part of the overall production. Mm -hmm. And Nancy Kerrigan, of course, has that cameo. Mm -hmm. Brian Boitano. Brian Boitano. Peggy Fleming. And apparently they tried to get Elvis Stoiko to do it, but they couldn't. And he was evidently the inspiration for Chaz Michael Michaels because he was such the bad boy of figure skating in the era just before this movie got made. He was fairly big for a skater too, wasn't he? And Farrell obviously was huge. I don't mean fat, just Farrell being so tall is unusual for a figure skater. He does have the ideal body for a figure skater, as we're told in this movie. (laughs) He does not mind being naked in a movie, says he. We know that from old school, but he never had a good body, but that's, of course, the humor. You've got to have at least one moment in the movie when Will Farrell shows off his mostly naked body and draws everyone's attention to it. And again, that was a moment that I legitimately giggled at when I just thought I'd show you what a real skater's body looks like. They could have taken a lot of really cheap and easy low blows at a sport that not a lot of people are going to stand up and defend, at least not within the bro-y... Feral's audience, you Feral's would think, audience, would like yes. this movie. And they obviously did to make enough of a hit for those few weeks of his number one, and it yeah. did okay overall. By your standards, it wasn't a blockbuster, but then John Heater was probably pretty well known. Well, he was, I guess, because he was in Napoleon Dynamite a few years before this. That was his breakout. He was in Benchwarmers, I think, with Rob Schneider. Maybe we'll cover that when we get desperate one day. We'll see. But that reminds me, because Schneider's not in this movie, but there are a lot of big names that maybe weren't so big at the time. We've mentioned Fickner had that small role at the beginning. He was well enough known already. Mm -hmm. And Malko had been in 40-Year-Old Virgin. Hmm? He was also in Weeds. Oh, okay. The TV show Weeds. forgot about that. But he was in 40-Year-old Virgin. He's one of the guys at the store. But Rob Corddry is a small role in this. I think it's before he really started getting bigger roles. And I think he's a fairly right. big name now. I mentioned Swords and... Ugh. <laughs> Andy Richter <laughs> Who? has a small role, too. Oh, I forgot Richter. Was Richter, that, 
Arnett and Farrell were all in semi-pro the next year. Richter is Farrell's buddy, and he has a lot more screen time on that than he does. Right. In this. He's just a mountie in this very briefly at the end. Luke Wilson, who was in old school with Farrell, That's is right. the sex <laughs> the counselor, the head of the counseling group. Cut it out, you guys. <laughs> They'll scatter. I thought maybe I knew who the woman who's making eyes at Farrell was, Catherine Town. She's pretty hot in that scene. She's Robert Town's daughter, so the guy who directed Without Limits and wrote Chinatown mm-hmm. long ago. And she's been in a lot of things, but not a face I really recognize all that much. I thought maybe I did know who she was. But I mentioned the sex addiction meeting, so we got to talk about the score factor. The guys don't help. Even Arnett, who's a good-looking man, looks weird and plasticky in this, which is probably deliberate, but he doesn't look all that good. Polar's probably never looked better. I'm such a Polar fan, so I don't mean to say she doesn't look good in Parks and Rec, but that's not her game. It's not being pretty. It's being funny and being smart. But the only person in this movie that actually, I think, would help a score factor is Jenna Fisher, who was always cute in the office, as we see in this movie. And sometimes in the office, you realize, man, she's got one hell of a figure. She never really showed it off. In the movie, they play off of that on purpose. And she's trying to get both guys to distract them. She's with Heater. They actually like each other. Then, of course, the scene you mentioned with Farrell, when they end up in her hotel room. But as good as she looks in this movie, and as nice and adorable as she is in this movie, Bev and I watched The Office just a year ago or so. We had never seen the show before, so we burned through it in about a year. You never watched it when it was... uh, Never did, no. Wow. She and Jim are bullies in that show, for one thing, which I don't know if people really thought of back when it was on the air, but the bigger issue, think about The Office and definitely this movie. I don't think she's very good. In this movie, she's awful. I know she's supposed to be the naive sister who's just helping out her brother and sister who are telling her to, who are making her do it, but it seems like the performance that she's giving as the character isn't good. Okay, that's fine, but I think that her performance as an actress is not good. And I wonder if maybe she hasn't really acted all that much beyond The Office and Hall Pass and this. Maybe she's not that good. I didn't really like her in this, although I don't really think her character has much to do in this. She's just essentially a MacGuffin for the movie in this context. She's so lovely and seems very likable, but did you just read the script five minutes ago? I like her more in The Office than it sounds like you did to tangent away from the movie. I agree with you, incidentally, about her and Jim. They were always dicks from the beginning. But I think the show acknowledges that later in its run because there's that whole episode where Dwight beats the ever-loving snot out of Jim with snowballs. And I think that is the show calling attention to the fact that he's been bullying Dwight for like Mm. eight seasons at that point. And Dwight deserves it to a huge degree, but still... Don't yeah. be a dick yeah, to the exactly. dick. If you're supposed to be such a good guy, then don't be a dick to him. And I like Krasinski a lot. I think his character is good. I like the show a lot, too, generally. But anyway, back to the movie. I agree with you. One of the elements that I was shocked did not play more of a role somehow was this repetitive mom and dad died in a car crash driving you to a skating lesson or something. Well, Katie secretly wanted to be one of these fantastic figure skaters, and she never quite learned, and then she has this resentment towards Ice, and then that conversation happens with John Heater's character later, where it sounds like he's trying to win her over. And I thought one of two things, if not both, would happen. One, she would have to get on the ice and skate somehow to save the day. Or two, it would come out that she was too young to remember this, but maybe the parents weren't actually driving her to a skating lesson, but doing something for the other two siblings. The two older siblings have been manipulating the sister cruelly ever since. And instead, it's just, oh, no, actually, they were driving to a skating lesson. They just took a bad left turn or something. What? That's the resolution? Make it a plot point. Yeah, make, they didn't really. make it more interesting. And then she never actually gets on the ice or skates or anything. There's just one conversation with John Heater's waxing poetic about the beauty of what ice lets you do. Well, that seems like an incredibly wasted opportunity, given how many times in the first hour of this movie... Arnett and Polar are like, shame that mom and dad died driving you to that skating lesson. They say it eight different times. Mm-hmm. Surely this is going to pay off somewhere. No. no. Wah, wah. Well, you're maybe seeing why 
the Coxes, Alt Schuller, and Krinsky didn't keep writing movies. Apparently, they did tailor it to Farrell, and I'm sure Farrell improvised an awful lot of things, too. Oh, you can tell he did. Two things that made me laugh out loud were in the last bit. The whole chase with Arnett and Farrell was good. I didn't that, laugh that, that much, was, that but I did good. like it. I mentioned already the zip lining on his jock. That made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. But the best line in the whole film, because I mentioned in Semi-Pro, a line that still makes me laugh is when the announcer says, they're doing just an awful job of stabilizing his spine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's, that> <laughs> when he might have a broken neck. But in this movie, it's when they end up in a store, a little shop, yeah. and Arnett grabs a woman, holding her hostage with some kind of weapon, I think, right? And Farrell says, don't make me kill her. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, there were some legitimately good lines in this movie that I think just flew past me when I saw this in the theater because I was looking for something much more big and in your face. Ironically enough, the moments that made me laugh the most were maybe the more understated moments. I mentioned the hairbrush thing made me laugh. I mentioned some of those Craig T. Nelson moments. Maybe the thing that made me laugh the most, and it's very stupid and I don't know why I did, aside from the chase sequence, which I agree with you, was very well done. And creative, too. And creative. Good idea. And even the ziplining thing was good, not just because it's silly that he's ziplining on a jockstrap, but he's doing it badly and hitting everybody with his legs all the way down. (laughs) But early on in the movie, when the fight is happening between Heater and Farrell on the podium, I think it was Farrell that headbutts Heater, right? Okay. And the announcer's are still announcing, just as they had been doing during the skating. The headbutt happens, and I think it's Brian says, and he executes a perfect headbutt. (laughs) I'd never noticed that before. He's announcing the fight, admiring the proficiency of the headbutt right now. Being a pro. There's so much opportunity for more humor in this element of the plot that just seems to be abandoned. You mentioned Romany Falco's character. Mm -hmm. They make no effort, basically, to have him be very funny at any point. He's the choreographer for the first male-male skating duo in the world of this movie. Mm -hmm. Ever. Yeah, ever. Why is there no sequence where he's just being ultra flamboyant? If you wanted to turn around and say, well, you know, they didn't want to be homophobic or something. Maybe he wouldn't play gay. He is being somewhat flamboyant. He's clearly trying to play visibly gay on screen okay. not with nelson like i not, was reading not with it was nelson, supposed to be a subtext in his choreography routines and stuff they just never took it to a place where i would expect a slapstick comedy to take it especially a will ferrell movie yeah and especially in a movie that as you said already is grounded in i don't want to say homophobia but at least gay panic right mm-hmm. because i don't think it's a homophobic movie i think it's, no, a, it's gay panic is very yeah, fair though it is definitely an early aughts movie playing with the early 20s male What if you find yourself crotch to crotch with your skating companion kind of thing? It's a movie that just screams missed opportunity, I think, ultimately. One thing that actually has aged well, it doesn't keep on playing out maybe because Darren McElroy's just gone from the story, but the hand sanitizer that he makes Jimmy put on a few times. Well, that's aged well because what we've been doing the last two years... Maybe not so much now. I don't really do that much anymore. I don't wipe things down at work like I did for a while there. Seems a little bit nuts. Are you saying that... Blades of Glory predicted COVID, Ryan? In this one way, it did. <laughs> and Rod Serling was a reference in this movie, so maybe this is like a Twilight zone thing where this movie predicted the plague to come. And Will Ferrell is so crude and unclean compared to Jimmy. Yeah. Chaz is compared to Jimmy. So maybe we're saying he was ground zero for COVID. <gasps> Will Ferrell, you bastard. You know the thing, too, you we were saying before, all those great credits... And some of them maybe weren't great, but they're pretty well known. He had that run in the 2000s where it seemed like, not everything, but most things turned to gold. And sometimes in little cameos, like in Wedding Crashers, mm-hmm. he's got a small cameo where he plays Chaz, and he's Chaz in this yes. a couple years later. But I wasn't his biggest fan at that point. I like him more in retrospect. 
Maybe because when I would re-watch things like Anchorman, which other people like more than I do, even though I like it, Elf, of course, is one of the great committed characters that anyone's ever played. Yes. And Stranger Than Fiction, not really a comedy. He's so good in that. But when I would re-watch these kinds of films and semi-pro, I still feel like that doesn't feel like he's just trying so hard to be funny. Does anyone notice the effort I'm making? He's almost like Tom Cruise in this movie, I think. doesn't yep. seem that way so much in semi-pro or the other sports movies where he's so over the top. But I like him more in retrospect. So maybe that helps my view on a lot of the movies. Not this one, I guess, in this case. But I was never the biggest Talladega Nights fan. I think I may have liked it a little bit more when we saw it a couple years ago because I like him more than I used to. And it took me pointing out the glorious nature of that soundtrack to you for you to really get on board the Talladega Nights and things like We Belong. One of my favorite songs now. (laughs) That's the highest I've gotten in a long time. I don't know how I did that. No, I agree with you. And coming over here to record this with you. On your skates. On my skates, very slowly. I had a lot of time to think. (laughs) And it sounds like I'm somebody that, especially back when these movies came out, really was a much bigger Will Ferrell fan and much bigger fan of those Will Ferrell releases than you were, at least at the time. But why didn't I like him more in this movie? And I couldn't really wrap my head around how to express that, but it comes across that he's trying so hard. And for some reason, he's just less funny because of it. I think it's just funnier when it feels like Will Ferrell being natural about it. One of the weird, simpatico, prescient prediction about this movie and COVID stuff, you hear Porti Volare being playing, right? The classical music. And I think that's when we see uh, young McAvoy? What's his name? McElroy. McElroy skating with the nuns and being adopted. That is the same song that Will Ferrell and John C. Riley sing in Step Brothers at the end of the movie. And that's a movie I think came out one or two years ago. One later. year, 2008. I'll always know it was 2008 because I went to try to see The Dark Knight at noon a week or two in its, <laughs> in its run in the summer. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll get tickets for this. No, sold out. I got there about 11, 15. Didn't matter. So I went to see Step Brothers instead. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And, and I did laugh. And that one also has terrible reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, even though really? I think it's funny. I think it's very funny. Even my wife, Allison, thinks Step Brothers is very mm-hmm. funny. And she's much less forgiving about stupid humor than I am. That's one of his best comedy partners. He's had a lot of good comedy partners in his acting career, Farrell has. But Riley might be the best one he's ever had. Well, he's definitely up there. And, of course, they were in Talladega Nights together, mm-hmm. so they already had that sort of relationship. There's a lot more about this movie to like than I would have expected if you asked 2007 me, what are your thoughts about okay. Blades of Glory? But equally, you can very much cite a list of things to not like about this movie that is probably longer than I would have listed in 2007 as well. And you have the bones of something here that could be really good given the right script, right actors, and right performances. And it's maybe like a 50% success rate on all of those fronts. Mm -hmm. I think that probably is my score for this movie too, is probably 5 out of 10. I was going to go 5.5 to be a little more generous, but that's what I would say too, around the same as you. Yeah, I like it a little bit less every time I see it. Although you know, I don't really care is part of the problem. I didn't really give a shit. I didn't care at all about any of the plot points of this movie. I was just wondering when is it going to make me laugh again. One thing I have to give it credit for, because we've watched so many movies at this point described as comedies, and we never laughed. I think the further back you go, and maybe this is just a generational thing. Comedies don't age very well almost ever, though. It's true. I think that's probably it. The best ones do, but a lot of them, man, Longest Yard, meaning the 1974 one. By the way, Fickner is in the remake. We'll do that one day, so we'll see Fickner again. Yeah. But that movie, Slapshot, Animal House, not Animal House, what's it called? Caddyshack? Caddyshack. Yeah. Animal House doesn't have any sports. (laughs) We didn't think they're funny, and maybe part of the problem is they're so damn old. Whenever we'd cover a comedy, am I actually going to laugh out loud? And the fact that this made me do it, whether it's like a giggle or whatever, more than once, 
as soon as that happens, it's not a complete failure of a movie. Yeah, I laughed again more so in the last little bit. As for the depiction of the sport, well, it's deliberately ridiculous by design, of course. Yes. But even when they're showing how talented these two guys are supposed to be, and by the way, this is the Airbud thing. It doesn't say in the rules you can't have two guys skating in Airbud. It doesn't say you can't have a dog play in Gus from the seventies. It doesn't say you can't have a mule kick a football. But anyway, even when they're supposed to be showing that they actually are talented, it seems like they're not taking it seriously. And I don't want the movie to be deadly serious in those moments. But there's a way to do it. It seems like Will Ferrell's a NASCAR driver. Yeah, he can be a great NASCAR driver, even though he's ridiculous and silly. He can be, when it comes down to it, a pretty good basketball player. Or at least let Woody Harrelson's character be a good basketball player and stay yes. out of the way. But in this, he and Heater, I know it's a comedy, but it feels like take the sport seriously in the big moments. That maybe is a bit of an insult to the sport. Partly because of the whole thing with the Iron Lotus move. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Cutting somebody's head off, that wasn't likely going to happen in reality. He would cut him, but he wouldn't cut his head and close to off. But it's dangerous when you're on the ice. If the throw goes badly, and of course, Heater does fall early on and falls pretty hard when they're trying to qualify, you might hurt each other or yourself if you don't yeah. take it seriously. So anyway, I think the depiction was pretty weak, and you can tell there's a lot of visual effects. And then the other couple, Arnett and Polar, definitely aren't doing very much skating in this movie because I don't think they can. <laughs> to me, it falls into the same category that I've harped on throughout our discussion. It's that you either do one of two things, I think, when you're showing the ice skating itself. You either go completely absurd, where everybody's just doing silly stuff on the ice, like Arnett and Polar are doing, or you go hard the other way and you get pro figure skaters and you make it look super realistic. That way, the ice skating being very realistic does a couple things, I think. It pays off the Iron Lotus move, like you said, at the end. And by contrast, a realistic depiction of the sport just makes the absurd elements of the movie look that much more silly and absurd. Talladega Nights is a good example that you cited earlier because that is a totally ridiculous movie. But I think when it's showing the racing, the racing looks to me pretty good. When Mm -hmm. it's intended to look good, it looks good. So I think you can have like a very serious and realistic depiction of the sport in a very silly movie. And I think you're right. They kind of try to thread the needle where it's sort of silly, but sort of realistic and try to do both things and really accomplish neither. I think so. And maybe the problem is that I'm guessing Farrell had to okay this, being such a big star, letting Gordon and Speck be the director or directors of a film, and they maybe weren't ready. And maybe the writing wasn't as up to snuff as it could have been. When you're working with someone like Adam McKay before, although he wasn't that experienced either, but Apatow was involved in some of the Farrell movies before as well. So he's got really important people behind the scenes to help shepherd this stuff. And I feel like maybe in this case, these guys weren't doing a very good job of that. Could be. All right, well, it's not a terrible movie. If it's still available on demand, Chris said that on Prime it's going to be gone soon, so probably before we even post this. I saw it on Netflix, so I guess they have a competing... (laughs) They're going to have a skate-off, Netflix and Prime, or Blades of Glory. But if you want to watch it again after hearing us talk about it, go ahead. It just isn't one of Farrell's best comedies or one of his best sports comedies. There's only one more we could do, Kicking and Screaming, the soccer movie, where I believe he's just a coach. He's just a coach, yeah. Okay, well, in two weeks, we'll be just 10 days away from the Super Bowl, which is in something like mid-February this year. So let's talk about the old pigskin. And I do mean old. It's a movie set in the 1920s, basically 100 years ago. George Clooney's old-timey football flick, Leatherheads. Speaking of Jim, John Krasinski. That's right, he's in that, isn't he? He's the star. Okay, right. And if that's gone from Netflix, then we'll watch... Eddie the Eagle, maybe? No, that'll be the week after, two weeks after. What am I thinking of? North Dallas 40. North Dallas 40, that's right. Which I have on DVD. But we plan to do... Leatherheads. So we're on Twitter. I am at MovieFiend51. Chris is at ScoringAtMovies. The email address is ScoringAtTheMovies at gmail.com. And you can wear your skates over here and knock on my door and say, Hi, I'm going to rock your porch too, just like Chris did. Bastard.
You don't know how many new steps I put in this year. <laughs> They're only three months old for us anyway. So take her easy, Jimmy and Chaz. I hope you'd be very happy on your honeymoon. Clearly, you're getting married. Well, that would be four or five years before they could do that in reality, but they might as well, because they're clearly in love. Clearly.